Well, uh, Jimmy, you're going to WorkbenchCon? Yes. Have we started? This weekend? Yeah, we started. <laughs> Have we started? Oh. <laughs> Hi, guys. <laughs> yeah. Good morning. Hey. Good I'm morning. not sure what I can and can't say. I didn't realize the line was drawn in the same. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm going today to Derek's, and then tomorrow we fly out of Logan. And it's going to be a whole bunch of makers on the plane, too. It makes me nervous. Oh, I hate being crazy. in a group of people on an airplane. But uh, I'm going to be with uh, with Paul aren't Jackman. You, hey, aren't you Trey. always in a group of people on an airplane? Well, you know, a group of people that know each other. Like whenever I'm getting on an airplane and there's like a soccer team with me, I'm like, I'm not getting on this plane. Oh, okay. Mm. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it's like a headline waiting to happen. But um, <laughs> <laughs> that's great. Tomorrow, uh, uh, no, it's going to be me and uh, Dre, Man Made, Lucas from Man Made, and, and a few other people going to be on the same plane going down from the Boston area. And looking forward to Workbench Con. Derek and I have a little talk on going from YouTube to TV. It's going to be a real casual talk. I, I When it comes to Workbench Con, I will no longer accept the uh, closing and opening statement position. Leave that up to the experts. It's too stressful. Mm. Bob, you know that stress. <laughs> So I'm always like, put me in a side room with a table and a bunch of chairs. That's all. I, so I'm going to do that. But I'm also going to be spending some time with Total Boat doing some demonstrations for them. Mm. So I'm going to have some fun with those guys. Um, yeah, just uh, like I tell everybody, if you can't afford to go to Workbench Con, you can afford to hang out at the bar. And that's really where a lot of the action happens. That's true. Uh, that's and a free. lot of people, I remember last year, a lot of people did that. They came and got a, a hotel and they would just come hang out around the event. Mm-hmm. And I would argue that that's more beneficial. You just you know? miss, you know, you just miss the cake and cookies. That's really all. Everything else is same people. Anybody yeah. doing lectures is giving the same advice out and about. So. <laughs> that's true. Yeah. No, so I'm looking forward to that. It's fun to travel. I get a little nervous though in the winter because my house is so fragile. So my brother's going to babysit the house and the chickens, and then Rob Rojas is going to take over from him. I'll be back here Monday. But yeah, that's it. And then I won't have a video this weekend. I have to get some videos in the can. I have my to-do list before I leave tonight. And I have to do, uh, I have to cut QRST for my Instagram series. I'm doing an Instagram series where I'm cutting out letters on the bandsaw. Every day you get a new letter like Sesame Street. It's exciting. I've been seeing that. What's the, give me the, the pitch for what the point of that is. Well, I'll tell you some behind the scenes stuff, Derek. Talk to somebody who is very knowledgeable, who I'm going to see this week, and I'll talk more about it when I speak to him personally, because I don't want to give his information out third hand. But Derek met with somebody, gave Derek some really good advice about making waves on Instagram. He's a very, very popular Instagrammer. And he said, if you're going to start to try and get some traction with reels, he said, you need to do a reel every day for four weeks and see what works. Post the reel every day for four weeks and see what happens. And so I was talking with Derek, and he's like, you should try it. I'm like, yeah, you know, because to me, Reels was always just a complete afterthought. Instagram is always just a little way to promote some videos here and there and stay in touch with my friends. And I see some people doing well on it, so I said, let me try it. And I started bandsawing. So if you see the beginning of the series, the bandsaw series, it was kind of random. I was just making up words and cutting them out. And then it occurred to me, something I need to do every day is an alphabet. So let me just do the alphabet. So every letter has its intricate ways of cutting and there's lots of methods that are used over and over for various letters. Some methods are only for that letter. So I said, let me just cut out a letter each day. New Times Roman. I hand sketch it from the internet. I find the image of, I have an image that I screen grabbed and I blow up the letter and I hand draw the letter onto the piece of wood. And then I cut out the letter. And each individual video is 
50 seconds of me cutting out that letter about two and a half inches tall. And so I am, I'm at, what did I post last night? Um, LM, and I think uh, LM, and N was my last letter. So I have O and P in the can, and then I have to do uh, QRST. So I have enough <laughs> before before I leave, so I have to post every day while I'm gone. So I, I, would cut, I, I would cut I'm them out child. and post them a minute later. So like, as soon as I cut them out, I post them. So these are going to have to be kind of on on deck. And I'm seeing, I got H is almost at 600,000 views, which is crazy because the next day the video had 20,000 views. So the algorithm really messes with your head. I mean, I'm not emotionally wrapped <laughs> up in it, but some people can get emotionally wrapped up in this. But yeah. you really don't know why in this. It's a mystery. But I think one of the pieces of advice that this person gave Derek was, the algorithm has to see that you're serious and that you're not just dilly-dallying. So if you post every single day, it's going to be like, okay, this person's committed to our platform. Let's push them. And that's why you have to post every day and you have to be involved every day. So it's it's interesting to see where it's going to go. For me, it's just an experiment, but I'm also getting some pretty good content. A lot of people are really enjoying the, the bandsaw videos. I have an idea for 2.0. You remember in, you know, kindergarten and first grade up along the wall they would have all the cursive letters the capital yeah. and the lowercase you could next up would be all the cursive letters and then it goes up along the wall and it looks like a like a like a school wall it's funny a lot yeah. of people are saying can you do the numbers when you're done with z can you mm, go one yeah. to zero so i'll do that take it from there and see where it goes where are all and the letters going grab- when you're done I, I just keep them in a little cardboard box nearby and every night i lay them back out on the table saw and add them to the to the lineup so Every video just... ends with me putting it in place. And then what I'm doing is to mess with the audience, I'm like rearranging some of the letters. So like the H and the I are in- <laughs> inverted. And yes. Sometimes I, I kind of do a little nod to it with my hands. Like I'll rearrange letters of purpose to make them out of order. Sometimes I put them in order. So it drives people bananas. Yeah. Hmm. It's fun. Cool. So I won't have a YouTube video this week. And I don't even know if I'll have one next week because I have so much going on as soon as I get back. And uh, we'll see. We'll see. We'll see. But yeah, I did a table video. I made a new table for my house, which I haven't put in place yet because it's so heavy. I need like four people to move it. And I haven't had that many people here at the same time to move it. And it's a big dining room table. Now that the heating in the house is organized, I get rid of my pellet stove. And so I have an extra three feet at the end of the room. So I have an eight foot table there. Now I have a 10 foot table, which I haven't put in place yet. So it's going to be fun. I like making these farmhouse tables that are also double as an in-house workbench. That's why I make them so hardy. Because I'll work on do leather work on them in the house and stuff. So that's the, that video is doing okay for me, you know, in, in relative terms. And um, yeah, that's it. Workbench con travel. Woo 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 woo. <laughs> travel. Woo woo <laughs> woo woo. Yeah, no, traveling. <laughs> traveling is not what it used to be. No, it is not. But yeah, we do it. Do it. To are survive. you going? Are you going to Maker Central? Woo woo. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, I am. Gotcha. And then I, I have to get to England by twelve noon the next day to go to Melbourne. Woo woo. It is mm-hmm. in England. Maker mm-hmm. Central is in England. I meant to say London. Oh, gotcha. Woo woo. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow, man, that's gonna be uh, that's gonna be some jet lag right there. Yeah. My whole life is jet lag, so it doesn't matter. (laughs) I'm not going to be going to Maker Central this year. I decided, I haven't told them yet, maybe they're listening. Sorry, I probably should have emailed you first, but 
I decided that it's just not cost effective for me to make that trip again. Nick has right you now. and I in, in in a suite with us sharing a door to the hotel. So <laughs> tell him that. I mean, somebody wants to pay for the trip, that's fine. Like all of the trip, but it it's a very expensive trip to go over there. Um and like just like last year we did it just for the weekend. And so it was flying in to the like we've talked about the place, the hotel, the train station, the airport, it's all one in the convention center. It's like one big compound. So you fly in and you don't have to leave that compound. But I was flying in, got a hotel, was there for two days and then flew out and came back and it was just way too much. So to make the trip worth it for me, I would have to go somewhere else and that just adds cost. You know, I'd love to go see Jocko again. I'd love to go to uh, see Laura's place in Germany, but yeah, it's just a lot of money. So going to not do it this year, hopefully next year, maybe. David, what have you been up to? You're in your kitchen again? I, I'm in the I'm in I'm in the I don't know. We we call this the tile room in the house. It's the the previous oh, owners should, added should come up with a better name for that. Like something I, really extravagant. The well the funny thing is when we moved into this house 5 years ago, we had a security system and all the doors needed a name so you know what doors are locked or unlocked. And we couldn't figure out what to call this room because we didn't even know what we were going to do with it. And it's the only room with like this ugly tile floor. And so we just called it the tile room. And it's just kind of stuck ever since. It was a, This was an addition to the house that the previous owners put on here. And it's just this, it's a very large room. And so I inherited my dad's pool table so that's in here which right now is a place to fold clothes um but we also have like a movie screen and a projector in here so and we got some exercise equipment so it's kind of like our entertainment room Hmm. but i'm in here because there's uh, i don't have access to my office in the morning because it's right next to where all the workers are doing worker stuff and this is just more comfortable than the shop so the shop is is cold Looking forward to having my office back, but I'm sure only only a few more weeks. I think you should call it the Great Hall. I think the, you should great, <laughs> the great. Hall. Do I sound echoey in here? No, no, it sounds good. But I think okay. that would just be an awesome thing to be like. Yes, yeah. I'm doing the podcast I'm, from the Great Hall. <laughs> I'm in the Great Hall. Yeah, yeah. I'm actually in Studio C right now. Oh, there you go. Yeah, <laughs> it's even better. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, with anyway. his multiple studios. <laughs> I'm working on a sliding crosscut table for my saw, and it's almost done. Yes, and it it, it works so well. I I I I haven't been this excited about a project in a long time <laughs> it looks because great. it the it, it took about three weeks because there was I would get so far and then I'd have to sit sit and think about how do I tackle the next problem because I'm not I don't really have a good engineer's type brain. I usually think about design. And it works so well. Like it, it's gonna, it's just gonna make working in the shop so much more efficient. And I kept texting my brother last night, like, "This is so cool." And I'm sure he's like, "I know it's really cool." I'm sure he's thinking, "Shut the f up." Yeah, you, you're too <laughs> <Yes>. excited. <laughs> um, well, but, I'll say, like, you sent us a little video of it working, and I was blown yeah. away. Like, it looks legit, and it's, it's smart. Uh, the yeah. way that you do the the catch and everything, like it's very cool. Yeah, so uh, that video should be out this weekend. Um, 
but the, the a sliding crosscut table it's like it's a glorified crosscut sled for your table but it's permanently hooked on and the purchase options sawstop makes one harvey woodworking makes one and they're like 12 1300 for that and i used to have the sawstop one and it's ex- insanely well built it's satisfying to use you, it just feels really nice but the problem is when you're just doing regular rip cuts the sliding crosscut fence is in the way and you can take it off but every time you put it back on you have to recalibrate it and and it's really big it it really ex- makes make your table saw a l- much bigger and so I made mine so it's smaller and the fence is removable and locks back into a 90 degree position every single time. I had, um, I was, I had a little bit of, I, I was having trouble visualizing how the lock system would work where the fence would be removable and always pop back into 90, but also be a, a way you could calibrate it. So I contacted Andrew Klein and said, hey, I think a Meg switch switch is going to work great in the situation, but I can't quite figure out how to make this adjustable and a perfect 90. Um, and so um, I had a starting point. He had an idea. We hopped on a video chat, and then we kind of brainstormed and combined some ideas to come up with what we have. So basically, this is this, it's an extra 14-inch wing that's on the side of the table, that slides. It also locks in the position when you're not using it. And there's a pin on the fence and a brass bushing on the table. And that pin drops into that brass bushing and that creates this pivot point. And then it pivots until it hits a stop. And the stop is adjustable. And the stop has to be under the table because everything needs to be flush. So when you're not using the fence, nothing is sticking up and in the way. Yeah. And so that adjustable piece then... Um, you can adjust it to a 90 and then you use a mag switch on a, the, the back end of the table is metal. And so that mag switch locks it into place. And, um, there's only a few crosscut sliding tables on YouTube and they all, um, they're all for the DeWalt table saw for some reason. And they work different. So I have a very unique video i think and all those videos have like a million plus views so i have uh high expectations for this video but um it works really really good i'm putting the finishing touches on it today and that video should be out this weekend it's one of those things i'm not going to do any plans on because i think it would be too hard to try to accommodate all the different table saws but what i'm really hoping so i'm being detailed in the video of what i'm doing i'm really hoping people that are smarter than me take this idea and run with it. So version two could be even better. So that's cool, man. Yeah. Have, it, have I it's mentioned really I'm excited? Yeah. Beautiful. It's so yeah. satisfying. So, and it gives me, um, so when you use a regular sled, you use, you lose a little bit of your blade height because that sled sits on top of your table. And so with this, it's the same, you, you don't lose any of that blade height. And a miter gauge only gives me, when you use a regular miter gauge, I only get about 11 inches of crosscut capability. And then when I use a sled, you can kind of hold the sled up behind the table saw and you get about 20 some inches of crosscut capability. With this sliding table, I get almost 40. After, when I'm done with my fence, it'll be about 39 inches of crosscut capability. Wow. 
I have the sliding one from uh, Sauce Stop, the one that they they sell. And and Dave, you had it too, right? You ended up getting yeah. rid of it, right? Yeah. And the one there was an interesting thing. They said you have to cut off the last three quarters of an inch of your you steel do. tube. But yeah. I looked at it and in one second. I'm like, I could either take the time to cut the tube off awkwardly in place, or I could just put in a three quarter inch piece of wood between the unit and the table saw wing. Oh, that was smart of you. And that's what I did. It, like I looked at it in one second. I'm like, why don't they make this the option? Because that's huh. well, that's something woodworkers can do. Woodworkers don't have the woodworkers don't have the ability to to saw off a steel tube. And so that's what I did. Bob, you don't have one of those, do you? No, I don't. They have um, this. Um, it, it's 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 like very similar to what Dave did, but it's like a little bit more mecha- mechanized, and it doesn't look quite as as organic as the one Dave made. But yeah. when you get this unit, you have to cut off the end of the the tube that the tube that holds your your like fence guide, the rail, yeah. Because when they designed that, they're like, oh, it could stick out at three quarters of an inch. Who cares? They didn't realize they were going to ultimately have this accessory. So when you get it, they say, get a Sawzall with a cutoff blade and cut off the end of that two by four inch to a two by three inch tube. And so I just looked at it in one second. I'm like, how about if I just put a piece of spacer there? So it yeah. takes up. So the spacer goes on the whole wing as opposed to just cutting off that last two inch pieces of steel. It's so everything could be flush along the wing of the steel table. Anyway, long story short. It's easier to add the spacer for a woodworker than to cut off sure. the steel. And that's what I did. And it seems to be fine. I put a little CA glue between them so they don't slide around. And it's been fine for me. That's cool. I haven't been using that shop a lot, though, that shop down the street that I have. Hmm. I, I haven't been using that because it's been so cold. And the heat there is just too expensive to heat. Oh. And it's easy to just put on my slippers and go down the backyard. Well, do you have, I mean, like, what do you have there that you don't have in your backyard? I, obviously, I know there's a bunch of tools there, but is there is there a capability that you only have um, there? Well, uh, some of the welding capability is, is a little bit more involved over there. It's easy to mm-hmm. do some of the welding over there just because it's all metal and my shop is all wood. So I am welding here, but I got to be a little bit more careful. I'm a little bit more cautious because there's also lots of wood. But over there, it's basically, and, and you know, I hate to say this, but the reason, a lot of reason I, this whole year I stopped going down to my shop as often is because of the cold and because I can't, I can't get anything done without people come walking in and interrupting me. It's mm. become like the New York City shop. It's like I'm friends with so many people in the neighborhood now that I'm working and I'll be in the middle of like videotaping or may, and then people just like bang on the window. They're like, hey, I got to talk to you. I'm like, okay. And they open the door and it's like, is this way they sell mattresses? I'm like, no. And then it's like, what do you do here? And then I'm not mean. I have to tell them what I do. And then all of a sudden, 20 minutes goes by. And then I get I mean, back into it. And then two minutes later, my friend comes by. He's like, hey, I got this really cool machine. Do you want to come and look at it? And then I, I'm, I'm a people pleaser, so it's part of my problem. But yeah. just not making myself available is makes eliminates the problem. I mean, would putting some signage up help some of that? I mean, obviously, some people are going to ignore the signs, but... Well, I suppose if I was really into it, you know, if I was really into something important, I could do that. Occasionally, if Rob's around, I'll be like, just go tell that person I'm too busy, you know, because if I'm into something. But the one thing we have over there is the CNC machine. So the big 4 by 8 CNC machine Mm -hmm. is over there, and and I have a lot of space to move the the material in and out of the machine. Me and my brother are working on a project. It's a long-term project that takes a lot of CNC cuts. So on occasion, we're cutting up a lot of stuff over there. We'll spend a day or two each week and make all the parts for this whole kit that he's developing. So it's definitely, it's definitely still part of my, my day-to-day routine, but trying to think about maybe phasing that place out is, is probably advantageous, but it wouldn't be for a year or two. 
I'd yeah. still, I'd still need it. And it's, I'm such a jaded New Yorker. It's so cheap compared to living in the city. Yeah. It's still like not even a big deal to have it compared right. to the torture I put myself through for 30 years in New York. Well, and like the alternative of not having it would be what you'd probably have to build another place on your property to move yeah. all that stuff. Yeah. And that's expensive. Uh, well, <laughs> well, I'm in the process of building the barn going into the spring. I'm going to kick, kick it into high gear with the barn. And a lot of people keep asking me because my life changed. People are like, what's going to happen to the barn now? Because the barn was for my person that lived here. And the barn is going to continue to be made into a horse barn. I'm going to keep the downstairs as a horse barn because I could, it's got stalls. So yeah. it's not a free span room. It's got some nostalgia look to it. So I like that. And the upstairs apartment is going to be pretty massive. So I'm going to keep moving along. It's, it's, there's no urgency to get it done. So I'm going to spend money yeah. uh, sparingly to get it done, but it is going to be considerably expensive. I mean, I'm looking at at least another $150,000, $200,000 before it's completely done. Before I could walk in and flip on a light switch and feed a horse and go upstairs and flush a toilet. So the whole building was made with all those intentions. It's going to have running water and all that stuff. All that stuff was designed into the foundation. But right now I'm working with an architect who's designing the walls. And as soon as the walls and the window pockets and the door pockets are all in place, then we can get to SIP, structural insulated panels, SIP, SIP panels made. And then I got to decide what the, the siding's going to be. Then I got to buy windows and then I got to buy all the lumber for the second floor. So there's a lot of consideration. So once that's done, I will absolutely have more room. But it's again, it's not the type of room I'm not, I'm not sure I want to bring over. I yeah. could fit one of my CNC machine. I could fit the big CNC machine in one of the stalls. Hmm. Maybe. Well, I wonder if there's like other stuff. Maybe it's just a matter of reorganizing to where the stalls become you know, workstations for yeah. certain things. Maybe not like giant tools, but yeah. you could put your bandsaw collection in there. And every yeah. stall could have a different bandsaw in it. They could put new hay down for them. They could eat. Maybe they'll have park, a baby, baby bandsaw. Park your trucks in there. Yeah, that's what you need is baby bandsaws running around. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Well, I'll be interested. I got a lung to... thing going on. Well, have fun traveling with that. That'd yeah, I know. Great. You're going to put me in a bag. Uh, well, for me, let's see. So I think I – did I talk about the planer stand I was building last week? I think you I did. did. Uh, so that video is coming out this week. It'll be out by the time the show is out. Um, and it it just turned out to be like a good, like it's so simple to make a tool better like that, but it's gratifying when s- such a simple thing can make something better. You know, I, I often feel like an improvement has to be, or is going to end up being complicated, not that it has to be, but it en- ends up being complicated. But man, what a simple thing to make right. the planer easier to get out of the way. If nothing else, like I don't have to pick it up. I don't yeah. have to push it under a table. It's just a thing I can roll against the wall now. And yeah. um, so anyway, that's coming out. And I think the video turned out to be really fun. We took uh, comments from Instagram and asked, I asked a question on Instagram about making this thing better. And so I got a bunch of people's personal experience of, you know, this is bad for me. I have trouble with this, whatever. So I got to use those comments and call those people out and thank them for the input and stuff. So it's a little bit different style of a video. Um Here's another thing that I did the other day. I'd be interested on to see what you guys think about this. So I put a YouTube short out, which I don't ever do because I, I don't. And people don't seem to like them unless people like them. 
So I put out this short and it was off the cuff. I was just like thinking about videos and in no way did I mean that I was going to change what I'm doing. I was just curious, like we do a lot of different types of videos. So I was curious for the people that were would answer, what's your favorite type? That's all it was. And so I just did this 15 second little, hey, what's your favorite type of video? Not video, like woodworking, metalworking, prop stuff, car stuff, short, long, funny, informative, goofy, you know, just like, just curious. And we got a lot of really great comments and a lot of great feedback. We also had people said, I hate shorts, I'm unsubscribing, which is baffling to me, but whatever. Um, so <laughs> did this little short, it's not one that's supposed to get a lot of views, but it has 15,000 views and 300 comments. So we got 300 responses to that question. And <laughs> the answers were both useful and completely not useful. So, I mean, not useful. I don't know what I was going to do with them. I was just curious. But, like, they're they're so broad that it makes it, useless, right? Like it's not, there wasn't like, uh, you know, 90% or even 50% of the people said, I like this one thing. It was. Yeah. Reels and shorts are just so, so wild west. Well, I mean, I think this is still going out to the YouTube audience, the people who are already subscribed or watching or whatever, but it was like, you know, you'd have comments right next to it. I love woodworking. The next one's like, I'm not really into woodworking, but I love the prop stuff. And the next one would be like, I hate the prop stuff, but everything else is great. (laughs) You know? And it was interesting because it reinforced, excuse me, it reinforced to me one of the problems that I've created for myself in our channel. I think it's also one of the strengths. The problem being that different videos bring in different people um, for different reasons, and they're not necessarily going to cross over from video to video. So it's not like we have a really dedicated audience about topic. A, we have a kind of dedicated audience about A and then about B and about C and about all of the other ones, you know. But the thing that was helpful and, and interesting, I think, to me was we had a lot of people say, I like these two or three things the most, but the fact that they're combined into single projects, that there are woodworking and electronics, that there are woodworking and metalworking, that you're not afraid to move from one thing to the other. And that was like, that felt good because that's the thing that I actually like the most. It's not a certain topic. It's the mixture of the topics and the figuring out how you use those skills together. And so even though it's not going to, you know, it wasn't a, a, a maximum percentage of people who all liked the same thing or all had the same idea, it was still nice to know that at least the thing that is really most important to me is hitting with some of those people, you know, that felt pretty good. Um, have you ever done anything like that? I, I know most of us don't actually want to know what the audience really wants because we don't want to try to cater to it. Cause that was not my intention, but have you ever done anything like that? Asking for. Not really. Yeah. Cause I know. <laughs> I think it's going to say, we want you to be back in your New York city shop. Mm. Broke and flooded. <laughs> <laughs> broken flooded i recently posted well the video about the dining room table has a segment in it from when i first made the table legs eight years ago in my new york city basement shop and a lot of people really nostalgic 
heart, heartfelt comments about, wow, I really missed the shop in New York City. And that's great. And I don't, but that's nice that you do. I mean, it was a great set for videos, but to live there, it was, uh, to live there, it was, it was difficult because of all the complications. And when I finally decided to move and live in my own property, my life got a lot easier and a lot less stressful. But as far as videos go, when people see the old shop, they, the coziness, the, the fact that it had like brick walls and so everything cool. We had a little complications. Everyone's going, oh, cool. No. So the idea that, and for me to ask the audience, I just, for me to ask the audience, I don't know. I just do what I want. It's not going to tell yeah, me to I build mean, something I, I can't do. <laughs> sure. I think that's probably the best. I mean, I think it, it can be really dangerous to start asking that because it, Either you are legitimately looking for direction, which, you know, I guess it's not a terrible thing, or it looks like you're looking for direction. I had a lot of comments that were just like, don't worry about what we want. Keep doing what you, you know. And I'm like, well, I appreciate that. That's not, I'm not asking you to tell me what to do. I'm just curious, like, what people liked. Like, where's the, the majority, you know, where are the crossovers and stuff? So, David, have you ever done anything like that? I would imagine no, but. I don't think so. I think I would be too afraid of people saying, show us how to build a thing, hmm. how to do this, and things that don't. Uh, there's a. It's for me. It's really important that I'm making the videos that I want to make because then, I think the the fun that I'm having and the joy of what I do shows off if I'm doing something that I want to do. And then I know that there is, with all of us, there is a balance of like you also have to do kind of what your audience wants. Otherwise you might not have an audience. So there's that, that yeah. balance. And so I'm going to continue doing what I want to do, but I would, I would just, I'm, I think I'm just too afraid to know the truth of what my audience actually wants. Cause it probably doesn't align with what I want. Mm. I think, yeah, I mean, this is not what I was wanting to talk about today or anything, but it was kind of an interesting group of responses because it wasn't very, um, weighted in any particular direction. I think the thing that's interesting about that to me, for me personally, is like, <clears throat> I'm never going to, well, this sounds negative. It's not supposed to be. I'm probably never going to have a gigantic, hyper-dedicated, that kind of like ravenous audience that a lot of, you know, Mark Rober and like really popular people have who are able to make a video that hits millions and millions of people at a, at a very specific level. And I, I don't even know how to say this, but like what we do specifically, what I do is hitting, it's always going to hit a smaller group of people for looking at these comments, a very different reason. It's not like, you know what I mean? There's no grandeur to it. There's no, um, uh, extravagant, like over the top kind of, you know, Colin Furr's videos hit people because they're so crazy and so out there. And he's awesome at that. Mark uh, does the same thing. Mr. Beast, there's a sensationalism to them that hits every type of person pretty much the same way. And I don't know, it's, it's, it's a bummer to think that what we do, what I do, will probably never have that effect. But at the same time, I think we can hit a smaller group of people at a, a deeper level, at something that's maybe more meaningful than sensationalism or whatever. And so 
you know, from looking at these comments, that part was really, like, it felt really good. Like, there, there's some people in here that were saying, I started doing this because I watch people like you on YouTube, you know, and then they named both of you guys. And, you know, I started doing this because I was inspired by this one thing you did or whatever. And that feels a lot more gratifying than just, like, you made a sensational video about, like, living on an island and then giving somebody $85 million because they stayed – they. Like held their pee longer than anybody else, or whatever the thing is. Like, <laughs> that just, was the best video yeah. we ever made. There's, you know what I mean? There's the, the that yeah. There's the Henry Ford quote. If I had asked people what they wanted, they would have said faster horses. And so <laughs> that's great. That's I don't want to ask people what they want because I want to do something different. I've been saying on this podcast for years, I want to be different than everybody else, and I really feel like the this last couple, these last few months. I have done something different. I have put more creativity, more art, more of me in my videos. And so I want my videos to be, I'm so out of breath because I just had to move a whole bunch of stuff for the contractors. <laughs> um, but I really want the videos, I, I, I don't know how to eloquently say this. I really want the videos to be about me. And I want people to watch the videos because they like watching videos with me. And it's me problem solving, me being creative. Um and that will turn off a lot of people. And that is totally okay. If you don't like my personality, you're not going to like my videos because I am not teaching you how to build a thing step by step from beginning to end. I am doing this thing in my shop. And if you like my journey, hop along. You'll probably learn something. I hope it inspires you to be more creative. And that's, uh, I think that is going, that's polarizing for some people. Especially like the older, hardcore, traditional woodworkers. They're like, who, who, is, who is this young whippersnapper? Who is this young 48-year-old whippersnapper coming in and, and throw, melting crayons and, and epoxy over, over wood? You know, So I'm just going to be me. And right now it's working. I'm going to continue doing that. Yeah. Yeah, I think the, the hard thing about the mentality of I'm just going to do my own thing versus completely bowing to the audience and, and like looking for, I mean, they're just two very different things, but the downside is that it makes growth for whatever your purpose is, whatever the end point of your growth would be. It makes that growth a lot slower than and part of what I was thinking about here. It was with, um, you know, people who do like, uh, online courses and who build templates and they sell a product. A lot of times their entrepreneurship is not about like, I want to do a thing. It's more like I have an idea that I know will hit a market and I can build this thing. I don't care about it, whatever, but I know that it will sell to these people. And there's nothing wrong with that. I don't mean that in a negative way at all. But when there's a targeted like entrepreneurship idea that's, that is separate from the passion of the thing that you want to do, you have a different path to growth when the thing that you're trying to build is also tied to a, a passionate feeling that you have. There's like a danger and a slowness to the growth there that is kind of inherent. It's like just part of it. Like you can't, I don't even know exactly how to say that. It's going to be harder to get a million people to care about you the same way they would care about or pay for a thing that will help them do their jobs better. Those are two distinctly yeah. different things, right? And as we've started trying to 
create more products and trying to find other ways for the business to grow, it's a weird thing for me to try to hold both of those things in my hands at the same time. And like, I, you know, I got to do this one cause I care about it, but I got to do this other one because like we got salaries to pay and we got like a mortgage and you know, all this type of stuff. And so I'm, internally have been trying to disassociate the YouTube thing from the rest of the business a little bit so that I can break those things apart and I can still care about teaching and inspiring people and making things that I care about. But there's this other side that has to start really living on its own and has to start working regardless of whether the YouTube thing is panning out or not. You know what I mean? Does that make any sense? Um, And so this question was a way to like look at where the crossover is between those two things and where they are very, very different. Yeah. I, I, I you're, you're talking, you know, passionate about what you do and the, the little growth. And I, and I keep thinking like, I doubt that Jimmy DeResta did a whole bunch of market research to see that there was a gap in ice picks. You know? I did actually. <laughs> he, he, he's just like, I'm passionate about ice picks and I use an ice pick every day in my shop. Mm-hmm. Maybe people want this. And then, it's successful because that is your thing. I hired is, a marketing is, firm, actually. So we, they picked right, up random right. kids in the mall, brought there, them to a room, and there's focus groups. put ice cream yeah. in front of them. <laughs> and ice picks. <laughs> Here, teenagers, what would you do cream. with these ice picks? Yeah. So, I mean, but, like, even that, you know, if you weren't Jimmy DeResta, if mm. you were just, like, no Shmimi name, have no... Yeah, if you were, yeah, Shmimi Shmaresta... <laughs> And you had you started making your own ice picks without a, a without a following, without people who already were passionate about what you did. Do you think they would sell the same, or do you think that no, no, the fact that it's coming from you has no, no, because when I started that. making them in China, I made a thousand in China as a test. Everyone's like, I don't want that one. I want the one you made. Mm. They want the one you made. Well, I sold them for half the price, so I said you could either buy a Chinese version, which is considerably cheaper, or you. And they weren't great quality. Surprise, surprise. They said the blades was were hardened. In fact, they weren't. So the blades would bend a lot easier, the, oh. the pick itself. But in general, now we make them here. It's funny because now Rob handles a lot of the work. I I also, the other day I went in there and I polished and buffed and slotted 200 ice picks myself. And But Rob does the majority of the work now. And a couple of people said to Rob, they're like, why would I want an ice pick if you made it? He's like... There's nothing to do with that. It's like a product that, yeah. It's like saying I didn't buy this car because Henry Ford didn't make it. I want to want the one that he made. You know, it's 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 the product has developed a life of its own. Yeah, and I we still do a lot. We do half of everything in my shop. We get some of it outsourced, but the complicated stuff we can't get anybody. There's not one factory in America that could do this complicated soldering joint. I had hmm. ten people look at it and go, I can't do that. I'm like, you can't do it because you don't want to do it. It's not, it's not, you can do it. But it's just a weird thing. So we still do that in my shop. We still do the most, and it's not even complicated. I say it sarcastically, the most complicated part we have to do here. So we do it here. We just found, because of our relationship with K&S, we just, they said, they saw the, the tubes they, when they were here. They saw the tubes and, and uh, they said, we could make those we make those tubes we are the company that makes those tubes and you buy it from one of our resellers mm. and they go you can just buy them directly from us oh and by the way we could make them the right size for you so you could buy them in a box full of 2000 or 3000 
cut tubes to the right size and they'll have Ooh. a perfect cut chamfered edge on each side. I'm like, sounds like a deal. So they just sent us some samples. So we're, we're finally out of the stock that we've had. This has been since the summer. So the next couple of batches, the next several thousands are going to be made. We're going to get the tubes cut from K&S and then we'll cut down, no pun intended, it's going to cut down a considerable amount of labor in our shop because I would buy the tube in seven foot lengths because that's just about easy enough for the UPS guy to carry. We'd get bundles of 100 and they'd weigh like 75 pounds and we'd hmm. cut them into the segmented pieces that become the, the tubes that go over the pick. So now we're going to get them already cut and ready to go. But yeah, I never thought out, I never in my life thought that a nice pick was going to be a product that just the fans kept yeah. asking me for it. And so I started making them. Hmm. And we still Speaking make of, them. We still sell would, at least a hundred a month or more. I still want to get one of the mini ones. I never got one of the mini ones. Oh my God. So, you got to ask me. Well, I'm sorry. I know a guy. Yeah. Is there a mini, is there three sizes or are you just talking about the smaller? Yeah, I just make the two sizes right now. The, the micro mini is on the drawing board. We have a, Team of scientists working oh. on the micro mini. <laughs> oh. Team of yeah. scientists. Yeah. yeah. The little, the short one. This, this I, would be three inches long. Everyone keeps asking for it. I think I Laura made one. Groups. My buddy Mike, the fireman, he made his micro mini and he put a little clip on it. A lot of people customize them. Hmm. So, yeah. So we have the big and the small. The classic and then the, the mini. Mm. Then the micro minis. And, and the new Coke. So, yeah. Uh, so the other thing that I uh, was working on when talking about products. Uh, the thing that we've been working on is our Arduino class. Our our online course for getting started with Arduino is almost done. Like we're wrapping up. Um, the editing is just about complete. The graphics have started being developed to be put over a lot of motion graphics and animation and stuff. And it looks. Well, what was that? What was that? Some crazy scratchy sounded like a mouse got into the microphone. Anyway. Uh, we're getting all the graphics on, and it's it's looking great. I'm really happy with how it's turning out. And so we have beta testers going through it right now to kind of give us feedback and make sure that it makes sense and that you know they're learning stuff. And um, so we we reached out to our Maker Alliance, um, some of our Maker Alliance people, and asked them to go through it and give us feedback. And that's been really helpful, just because. I know what I think is useful, but for somebody who actually would be taking the class that doesn't have any experience with it, it's better to get their feedback on what is good and what is not, what is clear, all that stuff. So we're trying to wrap that up, hopefully to come out in uh, mid-March. We were shooting for March 1st. Didn't get that because that's today. But um, hopefully in the next maybe two weeks, we'll have it launched. We may do some sort of a pre-sale. I'm really excited about this course and we've already started building out the outline for the next course and we're going to start doing more of these things because I think they're helpful. Um, so that's kind of interesting. I'm not sure about physical products for us, like how much more of that we're going to try to do. We might try to do some more of it, but I don't think we're in, we actually were brainstorming some yesterday, but where that seems to work really well for you, I think for us, uh, we kind of hit a point after we did our first run of push sticks and stuff that like it worked, but it's not very profitable, really. Like it, no, you gotta you just gotta keep going till you find something. Yeah, but I don't I don't know that it's even. I think our strengths, like me and my team, have a 
have a really interesting crossover of skill sets. And making physical products is a possibility. We did it and we can do it. But I think together we have a, a group of skills um, to make a different set of stuff that other people, other teams in our space don't actually have. That sounds kind of conceited, and I don't mean it that way. I mean that. Well, like, you just say you just come up with it. You guys have a unique set of interests, and you could regurgitate a unique set of a product. Yeah, I think our products will allow us. I think we are, we have the capability to do some stuff that other people would have a lot of trouble doing. Digital products and stuff yeah. like that. So we're focusing efforts there, um, and you I'm pretty like, excited. For about, instance, like the classes is a, is a good example because you guys did well with the. With the fusion class, and now you're going to do the yeah. Arduino class, that type of stuff. But in general, yeah. you, you should. The whole goal is, and no matter how you get there, the goal is to make money while you sleep. You know, that's right. ultimately that's the goal of everybody in society is to make money, have your money and your your products make money for you. So yeah. you don't have to put in a a dollar's worth of effort to get a dollar back because that's unsustainable. You can't live that way. Yeah. You need to invest in your whether it's your product line and that product could be a physical product. It could be an online download. You know, a lot of people in this space do well with plans. I never did well with plans. Mm. People sell them. I know you, know you guys all sell plans and I know April sells a lot of plans and actual physical templates. I, nobody buys my plans because I guess because partially I just give them away to whoever has for them. So I just <laughs> end up giving them away. I'm like, Oh, I made the PDF. Here you go. Take the PDF. I mean, they're not quite as beautiful as the plans you guys make. It's just like kind of the outline. I never really, we tried to do more presentable plans like the way you guys do them. And they just, nobody's interested in them. They just come and buy ice picks. Nobody buys plans from, hmm. we do bundles from time to time. We do have some plans and we'll say, if you buy this, you get that. It's just more of an incentive. But in general, you, you, the idea is to, the goal in life as a creative is to have your products make you money while you're sleeping, whatever yeah. that is, whether it's content and we're making AdSense, whether it's ice picks that they sell or T-shirts or hats or notebooks or online classes. Yeah. You want people to cash out while you're busy doing the next thing. Yeah. And that's so we're, really we're, the goal, whatever that is. We're actively working on on that and all that to say, just like I think the physical product stuff for us was a was an attempt at that, and I think I found that it's probably not the right thing for us. Maybe in the future, but like, yeah. Well, you're primed. Gonna, there, there'll be one thing one day when you make it, you'll be like, "Oh, this is cool. We should make ten yeah. of these," and then ten leads to a hundred, and so on. Yeah. Um, I did have a kind of a topic that I wanted to talk about today, and we're already like forty six minutes in, so I don't know that there's even much to discuss, but. Curious about your opinion about this. So, well, first, set the stage. Anybody that's never seen us before, we are three white guys. We are American, just regular white guys, right? So that's the baseline. We're like three egg salad sandwiches, basically. <laughs> so I was in a conversation with some friends of mine the other day, and we were talking about how to design something. They're wanting to redo their bathroom. And we're going to help them with it. And in the design, they they spent some time in the Middle East, and they came back with a bunch of design inspiration from the Middle East. And so they have this whole aesthetic that they want to try to build into the design. And it's not it's not real heavy handed. It's not you know iconography. It's just the the aesthetic, a lot of like lattice work and uh, certain 
color tones and certain materials and stuff like that. So I don't, there's nothing, there's nothing negative in pulling those design elements from a place that they visited and they thought was beautiful and they wanted to uh, bring in. But we got to talking about, well, how do we present that in a video in a way that doesn't seem like we're trying to appropriate somebody else's culture or something? You know, like, you know, where's the line of, of like being inspired by and paying homage to and wanting to live in something that is beautiful, that's based on a culture that's not your own. And like, is there a line there that you can cross in design? Obviously, we know that based on how how culture is right now, there's there are lines that you can cross very easily when it comes to appropriating other people's cultures. Absolutely. In design does that apply in the same way or, or is the aesthetic of another culture? I don't know. It's weird. And and on top of this, I was watching another show. um, I was watching a show yesterday, the Chris Hemsworth show that I was talking about a while back. And he uh, goes part of one of the episodes. He goes to these indigenous peoples in Australia and he gets invited in to be part of this like ceremony and, you know, they, they invite him in, they paint him up. He, they teach him a dance. He's part of the ceremony and it's, it's great. And he enjoys it. He learns a lot about the people and stuff. And when I was watching this thing, I had this sensation that I've had before of, man, I wish I had a culture like that. When I look at that culture, it is so deep and historic and colorful and rich and then when I look at Asian cultures, all of the different individual Asian cultures, I look at them and I'm like, man, there's so much there. And I love the fact that they have history and tradition and, you know, like this, there's stuff that they do now that is representative of what people did thousands and thousands of years ago. And I don't have that. I'm like white dude from America with no particular heritage. And I think a lot of us, and like, I'm not saying boo me, you know, like boo hoo or anything. I just mean that I think it's beautiful that people have this rich heritage and they get to celebrate that now. Uh, I don't really have that. And so I have to just like enjoy other people's things. But all of that wrapped together in the design conversation. What do you guys think about bringing in inspiration from other cultural design into what you do? And have you ever done that? Would you ever do that? And is there a line there? I would love to hear from other people of other cultures too. By the way, I'm just talking to you two right now. Yeah, I think uh, I think it's I think it's certainly okay. I'm, I'm very inspired by Arabic designs. I haven't really used any of it lately, but back in the day when I'd make furniture for my New York City apartment, this is all pre YouTube. I made some stuff in the in the Arabic style. I made two or three pieces of furniture, which I ended up not taking with me. I ended up giving them away. When I moved out of my first apartment, I ended up, and this was all before YouTube, so I, I would only have photographs of them. I made a night set of nightstands that had very Arabic style and a and a upright dresser, which was so clunky. I just I actually ended up giving it away on the street. I just gave it to somebody passing by because I couldn't move it to where I was going. But I built both of those in my shop in New York, in uh, while I was doing toy design. But I always was very inspired by Arabic design. And at the time, some friends bought me books because I was really getting into the idea of uh, the the very graphic nature of the Arabic repeating patterns and stuff. Mm. And I think I think it's totally okay to use that stuff as, you know, as, as long as you honor it and 
try not to pass it off as your own design. Sure. Especially since we're social media savvy now, you could make something and say, look, I was inspired by this culture, that culture, but I, I, you don't want to do it in front that you thought of it by yourself. The dog doesn't also agree with me. <laughs> Wiener dog. No, the, I think I think it's okay. It's, this is my opinion. I think it's okay to to do something and honor it. And, you know, if it's something yeah. super sensitive, like we talked about certain cultures before we get started, I think just probably best to stay away from it if it's super sensitive. Yeah. If there's, there's obviously certain cultures that are super sensitive and and you know very polarizing, just to do that, I, you just stay away from it. I know that there's a lot of like in in certain other cultures there are a lot of um things that are tied to religion or tied to um you know a, a historical event that are sacred maybe not sensitive but like maybe sacred like you don't want to copy these certain yeah obviously things. the the people that have um you know messed with the Quran and that type of stuff you just right. stay away yeah. from it just respect yeah. it that's what they want just respect it so I, I guess I'm thinking separate from that, um, which I, you know, requires some research to figure out like what is um, sacred in other cultures that you're not completely familiar with. But I think I'm I'm thinking outside of that, just general aesthetic and design, because I know that a lot of times when people try to, um, they'll take you know Japanese culture for instance, and they if they really like a certain, you know, the certain animation or they certain a certain aesthetic of architecture or something like that. When they try to pull that, it doesn't necessarily come off as, even if it's well-intentioned, it doesn't come off as inspired by or paying homage to. It's just like ripping off. And is there a line, other than what you're saying, Jimmy, other than just being very clear about like, I was inspired by this thing right here. I love it. I think it's gorgeous and I want to do something similar to it. Other than that, which, you know, you can't always be that um, like explaining on the internet. Is there a way to like to do that type of work, to integrate that type of design and not have it come off as just taking from somewhere else? And is that even bad? I mean, if it's, I don't know, it's weird. It's really hard. It's really hard now to so many different cultures are I'm also not trying to get the three of us in trouble. I just want to be clear about <laughs> that. I'm are, trying to do the right thing here. <laughs> with the internet and with everybody being connected, it's cultures blend now. Design styles blend. Everything kind of bleeds into it. So some you might be pulling some Japanese architecture stuff into mm. your work and you might not even know it just because you've seen it so much. And you've seen it, you've seen it performed by the Japanese and you've seen it performed by somebody in between. And then you're, maybe you're taking that in between as inspiration and then it gets lost. I think that's one of the bad things about everybody being connected is some of the culture gets lost and the reason behind it gets diluted. Thank you. It gets, it's, uh, um, Mm. And we it loses yeah, its point. meaning over it time because of the dilution. Yeah, dilution. Dilution? Is that a word? Yeah, that's a yeah. good point. I think for us, like the big thing I'm trying to figure out specifically for this video, but it's also just a bigger topic I'm interested in, is like how do we, how do we talk about a design that I don't normally do, something I don't normally build in? How do we talk about it respectfully mm-hmm. 
and 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 say, you know, we're doing this because they love the way it looks, because they spent time in a place and they loved it, you know. <laughs> yeah. Like it's it's all a positive like I enjoy something and I want to enjoy you could, it more. You could find you know? someone that represents that style or somebody and ask mm. them their opinion, either on camera or off camera, just to sure. you know, almost to get a nod of okay, yeah. Yeah. A design person from that particular culture, whatever it is. Yeah. I think uh you know before we hit record um, we talked about Halloween costumes and like, that's like, it, it really depends on where you're coming from. It, are you, are you making fun of or, uh, are, are you honoring? And it's all about where your heart is. And yeah. I think Bob, I don't think you would have to worry about that at all because your projects always come from a place of, of good and a place of well-intentioned. So, well, I appreciate that. And I think that's the truth. I, I try to do that, but, our intention can only go so far, right? Our, especially on the internet, our intention only goes to the point of someone else's perspective. And then if they don't have a clear picture, if they don't know me personally and they don't know what my intention would be, and I don't explicitly say every single possible, you know, then it's, it's up to them to fill in the gaps. Is he doing this for a good reason? Is he trying to appropriate? Is he trying to steal? Is he whatever? You know, I don't mm-hmm. know. Mm-hmm. So I don't think I'm trying not to think the worst about people in that condition, but I have to be realistic. And all of us have run into this stuff on the internet where our intention is good. We are doing our best to try to cover basis and be safe. And, you know, I mean, it, it applies to all this stuff, but the other side of the screen doesn't necessarily know why we're coming at it the way we're coming at it fully. And so mm-hmm. I just want to be, as we were talking about this, it got me thinking, you know, like, how do we, how do we approach something like this in the, in the most fair and even and well-intentioned way that's really obvious that it's supposed to be a good thing, you know? And maybe I'm blowing it out of proportion. Maybe it's, like, not even a, a concern as much as in design as much as I think it might be. But I was just curious what you guys thought. So. Yeah, I think uh, if you honor it and call it out it's just occasionally some people do stuff and they 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 maybe they don't call it out appropriately or mm. you know the worst thing to do would be to pass it off as your own originality because sure. you just look stupid because yeah. obviously it's not and people would see that immediately yeah i don't think i would be creative enough to generate the type of stuff that we're talking about the intricate lattice works and stuff yeah are, this stuff is if you think extremely. of like think of morocco i don't know yeah. if this is exactly where it would be but think of morocco and the, the aesthetic there like i couldn't create that <laughs> i'm i'm not that good at design but well anyway yeah. i was just curious about that it's it's been on my mind and then seeing the uh, seeing chris hemsworth get pulled into a cultural ceremony that's not his culture and see him be brought into it and taught something about a different culture and him enjoying the learning process and stuff. I was just like, that's awesome. Like, mm-hmm. that's great because it's not, it's not dilution, right? Like you're saying, it's not, it's not mixing of culture. You're teaching somebody outside mm-hmm. of your own historical context, something about your historical context. Yeah. And now Absolutely. that other person knows where you're coming from and has yeah. a better understanding. You know, a lot, a, a lot of people are impressed with my practical inventions in the shop. Like, for instance, you know, how I hang a broom and, and a lot of this, like my garbage lid can hooks and various little things. And I could directly say that spending 
from 1992 to 2010, I went to Hong Kong at least once a year, China. You know, I don't know how many years that was, 25, 30 trips to China over that many years and spend a lot of time in the countryside, in factories, seeing the practical way that culture handles stuff, walking down the street with a broomstick with two bags of water on either side of the broomstick. Literally, trash bag that doesn't have a hole in it is filled with two gallons of water and a woman walking down the street with a stick with just two gallons of water. And effortlessly, because she decided to balance it, the balancing point, you know, a lot of practical solutions like that. I've definitely been inspired by the culture of being in southern China and Hong Kong. Hmm. And that's just what happens when you see these things. You know, if you spend time in a place, you just get inspired. Uh, not necessarily inspired by the art as much as the practicality of day-to-day yeah. living and day-to-day ingenuity. And had I never taken all those trips, probably wouldn't have that same practicality. And also, the I've said this several times, the, the can-do attitude. I've worked with manufacturers in America, and there's always like... Well, now, that's going to be expensive. It's always like the first thing. In China, anytime I sit down in a factory and I say, I want to do this, I go, okay, um, let's figure this out. No mm. problem. We'll figure this out. Okay, let's try and figure this out. And it's not even that. It's just they just go, okay, I want to make this thing like this. They go, okay. I sit down in an American factory. They go, wow, um, you know, this mm. is brass, you know. This is brass. This is going to be expensive. I'm like, okay. I want to just get up and walk away from the table. But it's just a different cultural, and I personally have been inspired tremendously by that in many ways I, that I'm unaware of, I'm, I'm unconscious of. I bet if I spent a day in an Amish wood shop, I would learn mm-hmm. so many things. 100%. Because my first thought is, oh, I need to buy a $500 tool to do this. And then you see somebody else do it with, you know, in a much simpler, cheaper, more efficient way. Do it with a horse. Do it with a horse. <laughs> mm-hmm. I was in Belize a few years ago. I went with the people that make Bear Mountain Boats. I went with Ted and, and um, uh, my friends from, from Bear Mountain Boats. And we visited a boat maker in the countryside. He was in a little shed. He had a couple of little tools. And he had a beautiful canoe that he was making. Beautiful. Mm. looked just like any canoe that would have been made in any shop in America with all the right tools, table saws. He had no table saw. He had a couple of hand tools and... I don't know where he got his strips, if they were provided to him or if he if he made them somewhere. But he had a beautiful canoe sitting there that he was in the process of doing the fiberglass on. Hmm. And, you know, guy just making it with what he got. Yeah. And that sort of practical stick-to-itiveness, that practical get-it-done behavior, those type of things are inspiring. Cool. Well, if anybody else is listening... And has uh, useful, productive, positive thoughts on that topic. I would love to hear about it, especially our Patreon supporters, because you can send us messages directly on Patreon, and you do a lot. And I don't respond to them all the time, but we definitely see them. Um, So let us know, because I I would really love people's opinion, how to do that in design in the most positive way, in the most beneficial to everyone way, you know, because it is something we're trying to figure out for this project in particular, but it also is just a thing I've been thinking about a lot lately. But I did mention Patreon. So big thanks to our Patreon supporters. How about that segue? Uh, Big thanks to everybody that helps us out over there. We have a lot of people 
who help at you know a dollar a show or some other level. And we're really grateful for every single one of them because it all makes the show go. It makes um, makes it easier for us to do this and prioritize this. So thank you for that. Uh, we have a group of top supporters that go above and beyond, like way above and beyond. Uh, and I want to thank them. Crabtree Creative, The Web Ranch Woodworks, Gretchen Hofer, Michael Manegin, Warren Works, Stu Morrison, Scott Orham, Odin Leather Goods, Rich at Lowen Designs, Grant, Dad Crafted, Chad's Custom Creations, Chad for Mancrafting, Works by Solo, Albers Woodworks, and Corey Ward. Thank uh, you. But also, I mentioned a while back uh, the new Janky Workshop. He's on the list here. Mm-hmm. And I actually got to meet him on a call with our I Like to Make Stuff uh, Maker Alliance he joined our Patreon over there, and uh, so we had a, like a, a call with uh, new people who had joined in the last month. So it was just mm-hmm. a few of us, and I got to talk to him. He's a really cool guy. I think his sticker is in my sticker table. So last week we had the resin class here at the Blackthorn Maker Camp. Mm-hmm. We have uh, several classes scheduled up until the big event, and the resin class was last week. So I did. I've been doing the sticker swap with the fans. And I have several stickers, and I put them all on this table. And I'm saying this because I know a lot of the fans that didn't get in the table, listen, I left a lot of room. We're going to do another sticker swap as I get the next round of stickers. We're going to keep putting them. All the stickers started in the middle and working their way out to the edge. And Mm. so there's plenty of room for more stickers. So if you're an old friend of mine that I don't have your sticker because I stuck it on a bandsaw three years ago, or you know you gave me 10 stickers and I stuck 10 stickers on my bandsaw and I didn't have any extras. (laughs) So everybody's going to make it in the table in time. It's just going to take some time. And if I fill that table up, I'll make another one. That reminds because the new Janky Workshop sticker was in there. Gotcha. Well, big thanks to all of them. And if you want to help out the show, if you want to get the after show, uh, which is more of us talking after this about other stuff, you can go to patreon.com slash making it. And you can also send us messages there to tell us stuff. Mm-hmm. So big mm-hmm. thanks to everybody over there. Mm-hmm. Do you guys have anything to recommend? This week? I just sent you guys a, a video. My yeah. buddy Tim took my idea. That, and again, I don't know if it was an original idea, but he was inspired by my rendition of it. The idea of no sew leather purse. A few years ago, I made this design, this slot and tab design with leather. And Tim took this and turned it into a system. He brought it into Fusion with, what do you call that, Bob, when you could change one thing and they all change? Uh, Parameters? Parametric. Parametric, yep. Yeah, so he made these parametric tabs so that if you wanted to adjust it or add more and Mm. you'd adjust one, they all adjust the same. So I just sent you guys the video. No sew leather purse, laser or circuit maker. And uh, he did a really in-depth design. And he actually sells the plans. He's made a lot of money on the plans. And he always offers to give me money. I said, just keep it. I don't care. Because I I don't think I invented this. I just happened to apply it to a design I made and it inspired him to keep going on it. What was his name? Uh, Tim, Tim Belcher. Tim, you can send me Jimmy's money. That's fine. <laughs> <clears throat> he doesn't want it. I'll take it. <clears throat> cool. All right. David, what you got? Uh, have you guys seen the trash train? <laughs> no. Uh, it, so there's this channel called Max Maker, and the title of the video is I Put My Trash Can on Rails, and Now They Move Automatically. And it is a brilliant video on different iterations of making a way to get garbage cans from to the road back to behind the house and um it's 
it's re- I've never seen this channel in, until this video, and it's just a really cool process of all the problems that he ran into, and how he wants to produce this for people who maybe have disabilities or older who can't move their trash cans, and it's just, I, it's just a fascinating video of of making a train that's controlled by a remote to take your trash cans out front. Okay, that I have not like watched fun. this video yet. But hearing you describe it gave me a separate idea that adds on to an idea that I already had on my list. I was missing a piece, and now I have the piece. Oh, isn't that great? I'm not going to say any you more were... about it, but that's awesome. Thank you. Awesome. <laughs> right, i got to make a note. I'm writing on the piece of paper <laughs> so I don't forget. Sorry. <laughs> With... A pivotal moment in the making of there's, podcast. And there's <laughs> there's a laser involved oh boy i don't know where, where are you getting this inspiration from uh it's uh <laughs> maybe i'll tell you about it later after off air okay um cool well i'm gonna i'm gonna check that out mine is a video that uh we were throwing around the office yesterday and it's from the corridor crew so the corridor uh channel they make like films short films and crazy everything crazy video stuff so they have a crew channel which is like their I don't know. It's not their finished final videos. It's about how they make videos kind of in office stuff. And there's a lot of, uh, not tutorial stuff, but you know, a lot of more detail about how they go about shooting things and whatever. So they made this video about using AI to help them. It's so hard to explain. The long and short of it is they shot video with a camera of humans doing things and then they came up with a process to turn that in using AI to turn that video into anime. So whereas, you know, uh, animation, a cell animation, you have to draw every frame. And even if you were mimicking, I saw video, a little you, bit of this. This is pretty, incredible. it is bananas. Like and the process is not simple, but they laid it out in a way that it reminded actually, me like when you take a photograph in Photoshop and you make it look like a painting, basically, but in sure. motion. Yeah. It's like that, but they do it with video rather yeah. than still images. And so a lot of people are using AI right now. They'll put in pictures of themselves and then say, like, make me look like a knight or make me look like a wizard or whatever. And it creates an image. It's doing that, but it's doing it with video and in a way that between frames doesn't completely change style or completely change. It, it's you just got to watch it if you're at all interested in in how AI is going to be used going forward. This is a really good example of grassroots, not big studio, like small team. We're going to use freely available tools to make an anime without drawing a frame. Like it's, it's wild. <laughs> it's really wild. And I'm not into anime or anything, but I think the problem solving and the you know, here's our goal. What tools can we use to get to that goal? It's like a perfect example of that. It's very, very cool. So be sure to go check that out. Uh, you guys got anything else? I guess not. I'll take that. Those noises as no. Thank you for listening, everybody. And, uh, <laughs> our resident quail thanks you too. I don't know what you're supposed to be. Uh, yeah, thanks for listening. We'll see you next thank time. Thank you, thank you. Love you, bye.